Hello listener, welcome to Wiggly Podcast number 114. It's Ermintrude. Ermintrude, Phil. Ermintrude is cow number 114. And actually, Ermintrude's daughters, who are also called Ermintrude, they've all been 114. That's like John Smith. It is a bit like that, but it's, it's one of those things. The original Ermintrude, I've got to explain now. So the original Ermintrude was one of two calves born to a heifer cow that got to the bull rather younger than she should have done. So we had a calf, get-in calf, that shouldn't have done. So Ermintrude and Florence started their lives no bigger than jam, probably smaller, with no hair on at all. They were born premature and they lived in a dustbin initially and we tubed them whatever it was, four or five times a day. I think you're going to have to define all these things. So, the cow lived in a dustbin. It was the same size as Jam the dog. You tubed it with a tube of what? Milk. Because she was born very premature. Because she had young love. Because her mother had young love. Right. So it was all a complete disaster, basically. Right. So we ended up with Florence and Ermintrude, who both survived this, so they grew for... They were born at sort of six or seven months of their gestation period, so two or three months premature, really, which is a long time. Right. So they were very small, completely bald, just pink. Why are they all called 114? Well, because it, how it's worked out. So when they matured, <laughs> Ermintrude was a perfectly good cow, so we put her in the herd and kept her as a cow. So she grew up from this little premature calf, Yes. and we kept her, yes. and she had loads of calves, and as it happened, the last heifer calf that she had, we decided was a nice heifer calf and kept it. She actually died that year, so that then her calf was able to take on her number. Oh, my Lord. And All that, you were supposed to do was introduce happened. the show. Now I have twice. to tell you about John Llewellyn Smith. John Llewellyn Smith lived in the village, and he had a son. He decided to call that person John Llewellyn Smith. And so he had a son, decided to call his son John Llewellyn Smith. And they decided at one point in time there was all three John Llewellyn Smiths. So they called the youngest one Jay Smith. Uh, who are such, you? Such, you such is life on why. <laughs> <laughs> if the listener could only appreciate what goes on in Preston on why first hand. <laughs> They would never listen to this podcast again. <laughs> At least I would have said who I was if I had been introducing the show. Uh, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't even, can't even, don't even know who I am now. I'm Richard from Wiggly Wigglers. I'm Heather Gorringe from Wiggly Wigglers. And I'm Farmer Phil from near Wiggly Wigglers. Indeed, indeed. Well, the show's over now due to Ermintrude, but... <laughs> what are we doing is, on the show anyway? It is 114, and yeah. today we've got an interview with Rachel Prosser coming up. Ah. You went to make her rain garden. Yeah. We haven't got peanuts and biodigesters, as we promised last week. They're coming up on a Guyana special. Right. right. Soon. Excellent. Probably when Michael's on his holiday, so right. that'll be February. We've got some feedback, and we've got a birthday request. That's a first, isn't it, for a yeah. weekly podcast? And we've got, I've got Nigel Slater's book here, and we're going to hear about Farmer Phil and Monmouth Girls' School. So, on with the show. So, here we go with the birthday request, and it's from Louise, and it says, Hello, I wonder if you could give a shout-out to my husband, Mark Beacon. 
He's a fan of the podcast and I was wanting to get a message in for your December edition for his 30th birthday on the 15th of December. However, time sped by. Better late than never. Oh, don't worry, we've got ages left. We've never had a birthday request before. I was a Gucci London girl when I met Mark. Oh, Richard's pricked his ears up. (laughs) I'll say that again. I was a Gucci London girl when I met Mark. On our first date, he had me searching through well-rotted horse muck for worms. Not my usual first date, and my city lifestyle ended at this point. My first birthday present for him was a kilo of worms from you, (laughs) which took a day or two to settle down in their new home. So Mark put them inside so he wouldn't lose his new friends. This meant I stood on them in the dark, going for my midnight wee. Oh dear. I don't think she's that posh if she's put actually she put P. Is P posher than we? Anyway. We married in August on our neighbour's farm. He's the man in the brown suit with the wilting cabbage leaf corsage. I'll put this on the blog the picture. And we had a wedding that I think Wiggly Wigglers would really appreciate. Our friends gave us one of their saddlebacks for the hog roast. Other friends made us hundreds of bottles of various homebrew cider, wines and elderflower champagne. We grew all the veg on our plot for the salads and gave out bean seeds for the favours. The best part of our wedding day, according to my husband, was that he made lovely compost from the plates, cups, knives and forks. My worst part of the wedding was that he spent our wedding present money on a two-wheeled tractor. Two-wheeled How would that work then? Maybe she means two-wheel drive, because she is a Gucci girl. A two-wheel tractor, you, you tip off. That's a bike love, isn't it? <laughs> the, <coughs> so he's bought a bike. Uh, the wedding compost will be used on our new adventure, an abandoned one-acre walled garden, currently chest-high in brambles and nettles. I know Richard likes to skive off to other people's allotments for a cup of tea. So if he's ever down our way in East Devon, the storm kettle is always brewing. Uh He can settle the argument of whether an old brick shed can be used as a pig sty or a smokehouse. Happy Christmas to all at Wiggly Wigglers from Louise. He'll be round Louise. Wait for the phone call. Ricardo would love to come. Would you not? I would. East Devon could be close to Somerset where there's cider. Uh, Could be. We're part of the Blueberry Network. I never say that, but it's nice to. Phil, tell us about your adventure in Monmouth. Well, we had a great adventure in Monmouth. Very, very briefly, what happened was, in conjunction with Leaf, Rowley emailed me and said, you're going to Monmouth Girls' School, to which I thought, as a previous incumbent of Monmouth Boys' School, this will be the first time that I've been allowed in there within the rules and the idea was that I was the farmer and that I would go with three chefs from a firm called Aramark, who are commercial caterers, and we would basically do a series of ready-steady cook sessions for all different age groups at the school. And we, I think, saw half a dozen or more different age groups and covered 150-odd children, and we had a great day. I've never been so tired in my life. Ah, so you're saying teaching's hard work? No, I'm saying being a farmer in a classroom is hard work. Ah. It's deceptively hard. You don't quite realise what it's like dealing with kids until you start But it worked, do it. it worked very well because I was worried that I wouldn't be able to get them to ask questions and I don't know why I ever worried about that. And they asked some fantastic questions. Really. Like? 
Well, the first question was, how do you kill a cow? Which is a bit of a sort of showstopper. But having told them how a cow is, is killed in an abattoir, the next question was, how do you know it's dead? How do you kill a cow? You use a captive bolt, which is What's fired. A captive it's bolt? a It's a gun, basically, but instead of a bullet, it has a bolt that goes into the skull between the eyes and it jellifies the brain, so, and it drops dead, straight down, bang, and you prove that it's dead with a long piece of plastic that you put through the hole, which shows that all the brain and spinal cord is defunct. Now, that sounds just disgusting. It does, but interestingly, it's disgusting to, to you and I because we're adults and we've got all this sort of worldly experience. To a child, you saw the respect that they'd asked a question, they wanted to know the answer, they dealt with the answer, accepted it and moved on. There was no, Ugh. it was, oh, it doesn't hurt. And as far as, you know, it's instant or as near instant as you can get. Is that and the point of this? Is that, that was the point. The point was that if you are going to eat meat, then you have to overcome the nasty bits. A lot of people don't want to know the nasty bits because why would you want to know that? (laughs) But a classroom of kids, they did. Rich, do you want to know It wasn't that I was telling them, they asked. Well, I suppose I'd know the nasty bits, but kids do like the nasty bits, don't they? Because they are... But they didn't ask it as a a nasty bit. It wasn't, you know, I eat worms sort of thing. It was nobody told them that bit. Here was I saying, I grow these cattle and here's a lump of beef that we can eat. And they wanted to know the bit that joined it up in the middle, the bit that we don't sort of tend to talk about. Sure. The fact that they come with no preconceptions about it, they just want to know the mechanics of how it works and then go forward. And they're happy. I think really it comes down to the fact that if I, as a farmer, as a so-called conscientious farmer, am happy that that bit is done in the best way possible, then they were happy. And the children respected the fact that they were getting their questions answered truthfully. And you saw that respect. And for me, because I was pretty nervous about the prospect of all this, you know, it's quite daunting as a non-teacher to go into a school and expect to perform when you don't really know what's going to happen. Are they going to shred you? Are they just going to play you up until you die? It's just, how bad can it be? And it, as it turned out, it was absolutely fantastic. Had any of them listened to the podcast? None of the children had. But in amongst all this, I find Mrs Hallett, who was a podcast fan, who was the teacher of one of the junior years. But Mrs Hallett is an avid podcast listener, so from all of us, hello Mrs Hallett, and thank you for a great day. Here we go. <laughs> There's a, pu- a public school, isn't it? This it is a public school, yeah. 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 So they're going to be well behaved, those kids, aren't they? You want to try and go into an inner city school? I, I am aware that I may not well like have... They are like angelic. All an they do is compare life. their parents' I wouldn't describe them. <laughs> I wouldn't describe them as angelic. Compare they their parents' rage. My daddy's got a serious sport three. <laughs> you're just so far behind. Monty Sorry. comes home and says, my, my friend's got an Aston Martin. I said, has he really? Anyway, here we are. Here's the feedback from Farmer Phil's talk. <laughs> I, a very informative talk, lots of details. I like the sample of cereals and the wheat. I learnt that barley has longer heads than the wheat. I can never tell the difference on my farm. Next. Oh, yes, some interesting little cards here, Phil. I've got, uh, there's a bit of brainwashing going on there, I think. <laughs> this one card reads, I learnt about how the cattle are hung and where our meats come from. I now know about how it is hard for the farmers. <laughs> <laughs> And how it gets better up the food chain. 
I'm not quite sure what that means, but you know, you can imagine Actually. Phil saying, gosh, you, you should see the way I have to live. I don't, I don't actually know where that came from. Up at five. Life is a real drudge for me and mine. Oh God, if they could, uh, they only knew the truth. I think that that night of food, but it does say food was very nice. What did, did you, what did I you think actually that that, that feedback may have come from hmm. a question on foot and mouth in 2000 that they were asking about what that was like. Oh, I see. <laughs> I see. So I before think. you extract any more, Michael, out of the farmers, even you might concede that that wasn't okay. a terribly thrilling episode. No, it wasn't. To Farmer Phil, I enjoyed the demonstration. I learned how to get the Wiggly Wigglers podcast on my iPod. Well done, Farmer Phil. Bit of promotion. Uh, Any more, Rich? Yeah, we've got one here, and there's a nice little drawing that looks a bit like a turtle, uh, (laughs) and it says Farmer Phil's cow. Well, well, actually, some of them do look a bit like turtles. (laughs) And it says, thank you very much for your talk on cows. I will ask Tesco to put your name on your beef. <laughs> That's what it says. Fantastic. So what were you talking about? How, where does Tesco fit into the well, equation? Well, where that, where that was, was that my assertion that supermarkets are actually a, a group of people to be worked with and that Waitrose, Waitrose's example of getting the farmer's face on, tying the farmer up with the beef that's in the store. And I believe that Tesco's and the other supermarkets will follow on in the end. But of course, I also believe that it'll only happen if their customers ask them. And so that the principle of asking Tesco's, where does your beef come from, could or should stimulate that. It stimulated Waitrose, so the rest will come along. On that note, Nigel Slater's book's here with me. Thank you, Mary, for bringing it in along. And it's about eating for England, the delights and eccentricities of the British at table. Eating for England, it's called. And here we are on page 249, and he's talking about getting your meat and your fish from the web. And he he doesn't really think that's a great thing, and we'll hear why. (laughs) Out of a net and onto the net. The photographs are striking. Each place, haddock, sole, wet with freshness, irresistible, its eyes twinkling as the textbooks tell us those of fresh fish should. You scroll (laughs) down to scallops that appear barely to have left the sea, Sardines so silver they could be in a jeweller's window. You try to imagine what 375 grams of halibut will look like. How many will it feed? Will it be enough for two? You worry that if you're not in when the delivery man calls, your fish may end up sitting at the sorting office next to the radiator, or just that bit too close to someone's mail-order compost worms from Wiggly Wigglers. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't pay for it, could you? And we have been inundated with orders because of that. Really? <laughs> no. <laughs> but no matter. You read beautifully, Phil. Thank yes. you very much, Rich. You can just, can you not picture the scene? The, the little choir boy. Yeah, with I, can. Ruffled, I yeah. can. No, I can see it now. Definitely. Blue eyed boy with a big mop of hair. Yeah. Singing beautifully. And by the way, tickled by his chum next to him. I'm going to leave it. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you hadn't said that because I'm just about to go and see Monty in his Christmas Carol concert and now I shall be imagining Harry Bell Thomas taking him. Harry Bell Thomas. Of course, of course public school, they all have double-barreled names. So don't know. Yes, of course they are. Um, OK, so Facebook's going well. 83 discussion topics now. 
and one on cats. 83 discussion topics. Yeah. God, I believe you, one of them is uh, concerned with my own sartorial elegance. It is. There Good. is a farmer fill, a smart and farmer fill-up discussion topic, but there's also useful things. So smart you, and farmer <laughs> fill-up. I think although there's always point in discussing that. That's a Not lost really. cause. Um, but there is a lot of discussion on rubbish collection, so mm. if you want to go along, have a look at that. Time rubbish to plant collection trees. and my sartorial elegance go next to each other. Time to plant trees. Best time to plant trees, between now and the end of February. I started a willow maze the other day, or a little willow sculpture at a, a local infant school, and that's a really good time of year to start doing things. The ground's quite nice and moist, and we've had some, we've had some frost. So, in actual fact, digging when the frost is coming out of the ground isn't always the best because it's a bit squelchy. But the frost hasn't been severe enough to freeze the ground to the extent where you can't dig it. So, in actual fact, I would say if you're going to plant some trees and hedging and create willow sculptures and things like that, then next two and a half months is the time to do it. What have you been doing with this willow then? So I always think it's a bit um, hippie-ish. But hippie-ish. Yeah, you know, like sort of going out <gasps> and making mazes. And well, willow sculptures make are actually quite easy to do. A little bit time-consuming, but very, very simple. You can make this wonderfully creative feature in your garden without uh, a great deal of difficulty and you can make it to your own ends as well you know you could you could even sit down and draw what it is that you're hoping to achieve on a piece of paper before you go out and, and do it that's what i've done in the past for this for this purposes of the exercise i'm, I'm engaged at the moment i'm doing something uh, creating a, a like a bower with a little tunnel into a bower where the children can go and they can have stories told them in the summertime but on a domestic scale if folks want to do something create something in the garden then it's a really nice little nook a little private place that you can make really easily to go and hide and escape from the ravages of your wife and stuff like that in the in the summer how do you do it <laughs> I'm not going to go there. So how do you do it? Because I saw a lot of big stems of willow arrive. Do you right. just ram them in the ground? Will they- yeah, what you do is you get, a, you get a pole approximately the same diameter as the willow stems, slightly thinner if possible, and you quite literally drive it into the ground, you wiggle it about, and you push the willow stems into the ground. It's important to keep the willow fairly moist before you do it, and really as soon as the willow's cut, you want to try and get it in the ground. So quite simply, drive a hole in the ground, stick your willow stems into the ground, uh, and then what you can do, you can obviously make your shape with some string beforehand, so you've got that surface. Space the, uh, the willow stems equally. How far apart? Uh, usually with the uprights, which are the, the robust part of the structure, about 20 centimetres apart, and they need to go at least 30 centimetres into the ground, because then you have sufficient depth for the, for the rooting. And then the in-between bits, the binders, which are the bits that you stick in between the uprights and weave your way through. Again, they need to go at least 30 centimetres into the ground, but they're a little bit more th- thinner and flexible, so there you're probably looking They're not going to grow, though. Oh, yeah, they grow as well. Yeah, yeah, they all grow as well. So the whole thing now it looks completely naked, quite literally a whole bunch of stems into the ground in a, in a particular shape. But come April, it'll be inundated with foliage. Could you do that with crinkly willow? <coughs> you could, you could do that. It's quite difficult to do that with that twisted willow because it's, uh, you, you can't get straight bits, so it's, it's more difficult to make a shape. But you can certainly cut. I could go out there, cut a branch off there, uh, trim it up, stick it into the ground, and bang, you'd have a new tree next year. We used to propagate poplars, which are related to willows. We'd just cut them into six-inch lengths, hammer the lengths into the ground about this time of year in a row, and then 
in a couple of years' time, they're junior poplar trees and you can transplant them to where you want them then. Yeah. My dad used to think willow was such a pain because they get all over the riverbanks, don't they? They do, but they're good for the riverbanks because they're a great riparian plant. They bind the, the banks of the river. Consequently, all the roots make great places for, for halts for otters and for refuges for water birds. And they're much like that. better for the riverbanks. banks. chopping them down. It was an old-fashioned, again, this is uh, you know, the way people think changes all the time. But there was a time when a lot of waterways were opened up, something called uh, channelisation. The idea being to increase the ease at which the flow of the rivers could pass. And then, of course, people realised that actually by doing this, you were changing the, the flow dynamics and, and you were losing a lot of the features in the river that are necessary to, uh, to house invertebrates and other, and other uh, aquatic life. Um, so there was a time when, uh, yeah, when, when a lot of that used to go on. But actually, willows are very important alongside the riverbanks. So that was one of your trips, but I know that you winged your way to West Wales. I did, it seems like a while ago now, you know, but I did, I went down to the lovely Rachel to create a, a, a rain garden for her. So, I, I mean, it's a rain garden, it sounds very grand, doesn't it? But it was a, a fairly simple feature that, that I created in a garden. So quite literally by excavating some soil and filling that, that hole back in with a, with a drainage medium, which just happened to be some Herefordshire gravel, and, uh, and mixing some soil again, interspersing it with some, with some gelder rose and uh, hypericums and blending in the edges of the feature with oxide daisies and whatnot. There we are, let's have a listen to that trip. Okay, well I've arrived at the little seaside resort, sunny... Flanethly. Flanethly. <laughs> It's great, it's a lovely, it's very quiet where you are, Rachel, isn't it? It is, it's very peaceful. How long have you been here? We've been here since May, but I've lived here since 1991. Right, okay, so you must enjoy being here. Yes. And your garden, I mean, obviously you've been doing lots and lots of improvements on your new home, with yes. the new baby just born and whatnot, and the garden's kind of missed out a bit. Just a little. So which is quite nice, really, because it's a bit of a blank canvas for me. <laughs> so it's super, so there's really, there was, there's no restrictions on the choices where we put your lovely little rain garden. Absolutely not. So we're looking at a spot here, anyway, this is essentially the lowest place on the whole of the garden and there's some down pipes and whatnot from some gutterings off these fantastic dilapidated sheds that you've got <laughs> in the back of your garden and I think we can reroute some of these paths and whatnot. Uh, does that sound like a plan? That sounds like an excellent plan. Okay and I think what you might be able to do in time is take some of the down spouts from the roof from the house yeah. uh, across here because they, there's a natural gradient so it couldn't kind of lends itself really to this little project. So hopefully it shouldn't take me too long. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. So I shall, uh, I shall start. I'll wander off to the van and, and get my things. You do that. Right. Get the tools out of the van. Okay, a bit of gravel everywhere. Anyway, I brought some local, lovely local Herefordshire gravel. Some of Phil's Baldersmith Field. Oh, they love me. Some bogs and all sorts of things. So get all these bits and bobs out and I shall begin. Okay, a lovely cup of tea, Rachel. Thanks for that. So you you work from home as well, you I said? I do, yes. What do you do? I'm a freelance translator. Oh, what, what's, what's that exactly? I translate from French and Italian into English. Oh, okay. For various For various different organisations, yes. Yeah, that's good. Nobody particularly famous, just so all sorts of people. You are multilingual then? I am. That's, that's, <laughs> quite, that's quite an achievement because my, uh, my foreign language skills are shocking, you know. <laughs> so I'm always in awe of people that can speak more than one language. It's <laughs> nice to know that somebody's in awe of me. I never thought that would happen. There you go, you see. There you go. You said you just had the garden. There's a few interesting species in here. 
here. I brought a few bits and bobs with me, and what I'm kind of hoping to do, I didn't bring too many because I think often a mistake that people make is to plant up too much in one space, and then 18 months, two years down the line, I have to move things. Yes. So what we'll try and do is we'll create a little environment that serves a purpose, i.e. taking rainwater away from the rest of the garden but it might need a little bit of manicuring occasionally and a little bit of weeding between the gravel and whatnot oh, i'm sure i can manage that i brought some uh, herefordshire gravel with me oh so it's local source gravel i brought some a load of farmer fills boulders <laughs> so you've got uh, glacial moraine boulders from right. uh, from the herefordshire plateau as well so phil will love me because he won't be able to have any stones to fill in his ruts and his <laughs> It is farm lanes, and uh, also I brought the logs I've got from an ash tree that fell down in the, in the uh, on the farm. So the whole project's fairly sustainable, apart from the fact that I've driven here uh, in a van using diesel. But, <laughs> but other than that, things are, things are looking good. No, sometimes you have to make an exception. So I think what I'll do first is I'll move this path, right. redirect the little path, and uh, and I'll probably start to excavate a kidney-shaped hole and the soil the subsoil I'll mix with gravel to improve the drainage so as there's, right. a, there's a good level of drainage but obviously I'll have to keep sufficient soil in there in order to you know support the shrubs that I'm going to plant into the garden itself right so I suppose I better start I think that'll probably be a good idea hello what's your name you're not going to say hello what do you think what do you think of things so far <laughs> gone all what do you think shy. of all this digging up what's he doing how's this one 16 months. 16 months. I can see why you uh, don't really have much time to do stuff in your garden. You see the, yes. see the, see the little robin? You see the way the robin's in there picking up the worms that I've excavated for it? You mm-hmm. see that little chap down there? He's Isn't he beautiful? It's interesting when we've been disturbing stones and whatnot. It's a classic example how nature thrives on neglect because we found frogs and the best examples of big slugs imaginable <laughs> ensconced under boxes and all sorts of things. And uh, it's great to see. You've got fantastic soil, by the way. Thank you very much. You could grow really good vegetables in this stuff. But I found some interesting lumps of concrete and old washing lines and various bits and bobs, <laughs> which are proving kind of difficult to get out. But, you know, I think you'll find it's taking shape now. Yes, it's starting to look more like a garden and less like a mess. Yeah, <laughs> she says. Well prompted, I'll, uh, I'll sort you out that tenor later on. But I'm at a stage now, really, where I've just got past the topsoil, so I've just hit the subsoil now. Yes. And what I'll do is I'll dig that out and I'll mix it with gravel that I brought with me and that will improve the drainage and then I can start mixing some of the topsoil with the gravel and then we can have a nice layer of gravel over the top and at the moment I've just redirected this path that I'm, I'm digging and what, I, what I'm having to do is set these uh, these slabs into soil but that shouldn't be a problem and I think what I could do is I'll send you some grass seed later on in the post um, which you could sow in amongst the slabs and in fact for the sake of ease you could just mow straight over the slabs then so that it means uh, less, less weeding and low maintenance my husband could mow straight over the slabs, you mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, right. Right, well, after much sweat and toil, I managed to, <laughs> managed to fill, the, uh, fill the hole. So a load of topsoil in there now, mixed with gravel and a few of these bits of concrete that I've knocked off from the side of the path. I've placed the trees in situ, so I've got a reasonable idea of where they're going to go. I'm going to sort of intersperse the Gelder Rose and the uh, Hypericum with some purple loosestrife, so yeah, that'll be a great feature, a mix of colours really, and a mix of sizes as well. Now, the side, the border here, I've just laced with some um, ash logs, 
a nice bit of lichen developing on them and they will improve in time I and mean, then they're kind of new so uh, so they're quite light but they'll improve like a fine wine really logs you know they improve with age they sort of mature and they get covered in all sorts of mosses and lichens and things like that so i'm just going to go and i'm just going to start the chainsaw up rachel and i'm going to um okay well stand I'm just back gonna, yeah stand back. <laughs> i'm just going to cut the end off this uh, this log here blend it in a little bit That's a slightly faster way than using a bow saw. <laughs> so I'm going to blend that in there, uh, and then you get a, you know you get a nice kind of soft corner really. So it's a bit softer than that harsh concrete that was. It's a vast improvement on what it was. Oh, fantastic! Well, I, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> I'd have been disappointed if you said that. You put it back the way it was. Uh, in fact, I'd be gutted. But. <laughs> The, uh, what I'll do now is I'll build this side up, get a few more logs on there, so we've got a nice bund on this side, a nice feature, and then it'll it'll gradually slope back towards the path, and then of course that's the sort of collecting point. So in future all the water will be able to drain into this corner and it'll disappear into the ground. Lovely. Lovely, fantastic cup of tea. Cheers Rachel, thank you for that. They're going to think you've been drinking tea all day, you know. Mm, mm. <laughs> I know, well, they, they always rib me about everything anyway, so it doesn't really matter whether I'm <laughs> drinking tea or not. Um, we're not far off now, just got the, the uh, finishing touches to do. So everything's planted, bund is created along the edge. If you put a, a water butt against the wall there and, and direct the downspouts from, from the gutter and from these sheds into the water butt, then there's a, there'll be a kind of natural overflow. So when it rains, you'll have a, a free water feature. Wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, it does look a bit new at the moment, but get a little bit of algae on there and whatnot, and uh, it'll bed in nicely. It'll look old and same as everything else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did your mum say about it? Did she like she it? She said it was lovely. Oh, well, fantastic. That's good. We're both very pleased with it. Good. Oh, well, that's all right. And, uh, but uh, I'll just finish off and uh, I'll be away. Lovely. Right, well, there you go, guys. What do you think? It's beautiful. Yeah, it's really, really lovely. Are you, are you happy with that? Definitely. It's it a vast improvement. A bit, a bit of uh, blood, sweat and tears, but we've got that massive great lump of concrete out in the end. It does look different. So it's, you can see it's kind of gently sweeping away from the shed, but what will happen is at the moment it's, it appears to be slightly domed in the middle, but that will settle. Yes. So when it becomes saturated, what I've done is I've, cause I had to fork it up and loosen a lot of the soil right underneath and subsoil and whatnot. I mixed it up with gravel, so it's all puffed up at the moment. So that'll settle, that'll go down, and ultimately there'll be like a little sink in the corner there where all your rainwater can gather and disappear. Now all I've got to do is get that water bed. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Next on my shopping list. <laughs> yeah, good on you. I'm sure we can do a discount. <laughs> Cheers, Rachel. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And if you want to know more about Wiggly Wigglers, try going to our blog. Karen's taking it over and there's all sorts of exciting stuff on there. It's wigglywigglers.blogspot.com If you'd like to subscribe, go to iTunes. And in the meantime, next week, we're going to be talking about Bill Oddy. Richie, you're not keen on him. Bloody, well, we had a, we had a conversation last night, you know, because uh, yeah, I, I, I quite like, well, no, I used to like Spring Watch, mm. and then Autumn Watch came along, and I kind of watched that, purely because I like the natural history, and, and there, there are always things you can learn and pick up from it. But I'm sure 
that I, I've never been so irritated by watching a, a presenter on a natural history show, even the real low-budget Channel 5 ones, you know? And, uh, and uh, we, cause we were having this discussion in the office last night about how, why Bill Hoddy behaves in the, in the way he does. I mean, is that entertaining? I don't know. Because I'm sure Kate Humble is the quintessential professional, and, uh, and she definitely has a spark and a bit of brightness about her. But, you know, I'm sure that Bloody is... Dragged it down to his level. Ooh, I don't want to be, and I don't want to be oh. disrespectful. And, and but I'm struggling to think of the value of the way that he, he behaves. Is this you know? a little bit of the green-eyed monster? The I mean, green-eyed that, monster. You, know, you mean in terms of uh, am I uh, am I at all envious about the level of success? It's a bit of a <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. I'm not because it's like just funny because people, other people have said to me, Bill Oddie, what do you think of him? And I, I I'm, uh, you know. I'm just, I'm just not convinced about the BBC's choice of presenter. I think Rich was just envious because he wanted to sit next no, to Kate Humble. No, this is not an opportunity to take the piss out of me, Phil. This is, we were talking about Bill Oddie because I don't want to be the victim. Because we were talking about Bill Oddie in the office last night. So this isn't an opportunity to say Rich hates Bill Oddie. <laughs> anyway, we want to know what you think of Bill Oddie. What do you think of the way he presents? Do you like him? Do you love him? Do you loathe him? And what I really want to see is the Robin Page article about this. So we'll bring that in next week. And all Bill Oddie fans, rally to the cause. If Bill is your mate, please phone us up on plus four four one nine eight one five hundred nine three zero and leave us a message about what you think of Bill on plus four four one nine eight one five hundred nine. And on the note of Bill, can I just say very, very happy birthday to Billy and George, who are 60 tomorrow. Hello. Yes. And if anyone would like to support the Billy Bank, you need to buy Ecova from Wiggly Wigglers, or even worse, you need to invest in a calendar with four nude Wiggly women in it. So we can ship these to America, Japan, New Zealand, Australia. No extra charge. They're £8 plus P&B at £3. Order online at www.wigglywigglers.co.uk. They're very effective at keeping the children away from the fire when placed above the mantelpiece. Thank you, Philip. On that note, I'll leave you for another week. I'm off to Monty's Cow Concert. Bye. Bye. Bye from me. Why say?